Good evening. Welcome to everyone tonight. <coughs> We're so thankful that you're here. Appreciate your presence. We have guests who are with us. We want you to know that you're welcome and always welcome here at the Midway Congregation. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter number 9 tonight. We've been in 1 Corinthians all year on Sunday nights, and so we'll continue that study tonight. We'll call our lesson simply, It's My Right, But That's Okay. If you were here with us last Sunday night, or the, the last time we, we studied together, we, we talked about some things that, uh, that, that people needed to do as Christians. But I want to begin this lesson just a little bit differently. I want to begin by thinking about politics. Now you say, well, preacher, that's going to get you in trouble So if you talk about politics. But, you know, pretty much it doesn't make any difference whose party is in, in power you know, as long as the economy is fine, then, then uh, you know, everything seems to be okay. Leave my guy alone as long as the economy is fine. And so I said that to say this, when our pocketbooks, when our billfolds, when our bank accounts, when they're all good, uh, then we're all good. It seems like our society is more concerned with money than with morality and other things of that nature. Would you agree with that? We are more concerned with, with money than with morality and things that are right and wrong. Now, having said that, let's go back to 1 Corinthians. And what we looked at last time in chapter number 8 was the fact that Paul said there are some things that even Christians must give up when, when there are weak brethren around. There are some things that we must give up in order to be right with God so that we won't sin against those who are uh, weak in the faith, if you will, and, and so we won't sin against Christ. That's the point that he makes as he closes out. And he says that as he closes what we know as chapter number 8, he says that, that if meat causes one to offend, causes one to sin, then he would not eat meat basically ever again in his life. Now, we don't have time tonight to go back and deal with all of the things that are having to do with that, but what I do want to say tonight is that Paul continues that discussion. As you know, we've said it from time to time, and you know very well that when Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, he did not write chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and then when he got to the end of that, go to chapter 2, verse 1. He simply wrote the book, wrote the letter, wrote that letter to them, and then later on we had someone else come along and put chapters and verses in there so it would be easier for us to turn and find that chapter and that verse and tell someone where it is. And so, as we look at it, Paul closed out what we know as chapter number 8, but he wasn't through talking yet about that same subject. Now, he sort of changes gears and he says, I want to illustrate this, but he does it with something that everyone, everyone could understand. And so that's what we have beginning in chapter 9 at verse number 1. And that's what we'll talk about tonight. As we think about that, Paul understood the powerful influence of money. It was powerful in his day. It's powerful in our, our day. It's been powerful for hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years. Money is something that people look at. They fall down and worship before it. It's one of the things that, that people put as a God before the God. 
And so he understood the powerful influence of money. And he he uses that here in chapter number 9 in order for us to understand uh, an application of the principle that he has introduced to us in what we know as chapter number 8. And so having said that, Paul says it's right to pay the preacher. Yay, Paul. Preach on, brother. Cole, where are you? You know, and Connor, it's right to pay the preacher. That is his point in verses 1 through 18 of chapter number 9. Okay? And yet, as we're thinking about it, we, we understand Paul has just said that we need to be willing to give some things up. Somebody might say, well, Paul, you probably didn't even like meat to start with. And so, you know, being a, a Jewish boy, growing up a Jewish boy, he never had bacon. Not as a Jewish boy, he never had barbecue as a Jewish boy. Paul, you probably didn't like meat, so it's easy for you to give up meat. Paul says, well, let me help you out just a little bit. Okay? And so that's where he's going here in chapter number 9 that we will look at. Paul gives us six reasons that it's right to pay the preacher. Now, I'm not preaching that just so it's, you know, not looking for raise, something like that. But I want us to understand that Paul lays out a principle here, okay? And so Paul says, why? Why is it right? Six reasons Paul says it's right to pay the preacher. Number one, he said, I'm an apostle. I am an apostle. Look at verses 1 through 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship In the Lord, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Paul is an apostle. Do we not have the right? I mean, just because I'm an apostle, does that mean that I have to forego every need that I have? Do we not have the right to eat or drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles and the brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Paul says, I am an apostle. That's reason number one that it is right for me, for preachers, if you will, for those who are bringing the gospel to be paid. Look at his reasoning there. Preachers, apostles, in his case, they have to eat, don't they? Uh, They have to make a living. And when he closes out there in verse number 9, he points out that, you know... Is it just me and just my helper, Barnabas? That, that, um, is it just us who, who have no right to refrain from working in a, in a secular job, as we'll sometimes say? Is it just us that we have no right to keep from having to do that in order that we might do the work? Paul says, I am an apostle. Now, I don't want us to spend just a whole lot of extra time on that, but that is his reasoning. That is one of the things that he sets out. Number two, number two reason that Paul gives, he says, it's customary. Whenever someone does something, it's customary to pay them. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? 
Who tends the flock without getting some of the milk? In other words, one who is doing a work generally gets something for that. Generally gets paid in some way. It may be from uh, uh, the, the fruit that is grown. It may be from the produce that comes from the flock or the, the herds or whatever it may be. It may be as a soldier being paid by the country, the nation, the king for which you are working or fighting. But he says it's customary. And so he lays out these three different areas here uh, to see for people to understand that it was customary for somebody who does something to get a return for whatever it is that he's doing. And that's his number two reason. But he has a third one. He said it's God's law. It's God's law for one who does work to get paid. Now, go back to chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. Paul says, do I say these things on human authority? Am I just uh, whistling in the wind out here? Do I say this on human authority? Does not the law, which law? Well, he's talking, of course, about the Old Testament law. He says, does not the law say the same? For it's written in the law of Moses. In other words, Paul says back in the Old Testament... Something has been written. Paul, what was written back there? Well, Paul says, according to Deuteronomy chapter 25, at verse number 4, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. What does that mean? Even the ox, even the old dumb animal, is able to eat because he works. And God said... That is the law. You don't starve the animal to death. You allow him to munch on some of the things along the way. You shall not muzzle the ox. You know what? That is in the same language as what we see in what we call the Ten Commandments, is it not? Go back to Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter number 5. You shall not murder. You shall not. You shall not muzzle and not a command from God that this is the way things are to be done. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Well, yes, in a sense, God is concerned with the oxen, is he not? Is not God concerned with all of his animals? You know, when we turn to the New Testament book of Matthew chapter 6 at verse 26, Jesus says, look at the birds. Now, now, when you see a bird, he said, what is it that you want to see? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't uh, reap, neither do they gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. God takes care of the animals. It's, it's their right, and he makes sure he sees after them that they are taken care of. You know, back in the book of Job 38, verse 41 in that conversation that Job and God are having, it's written, Who provides for the raven its prey? When its young ones cry to God for help and wonder about for lack of... Who gives the raven its prey? And he personifies the little, the little ravens, the little birds, chirping and saying, I'm hungry, Mom, I'm hungry. Who gave them the prey that mama was going to feed? God did. You see, God is concerned. 
And we could look at other passages, Psalm 147 at verse number 9. He, God, gives to the beast their food. And in that passage, he goes on and watch this and how see how he connects it with what is said in the book of Job. And he gives the beast their food and to the young ravens that cry. He gives to them as well. And so God, yes, is concerned with animals. It's God's law of sowing and reaping, not just for us, but of paying and being able to have from what work that we have done. God takes care of the animals, but he continues here, verse number 10. Does he not speak certainly for our sake? It was written for our sake when he wrote, had Moses write back in the Old Testament, not to muzzle the ox that's treading out the grain, He said, I'm not really doing it just for the ox. I'm doing it for the people. Does he not speak certainly for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Paul says, I came bringing the gospel I came bringing you the most important message that you have ever heard. I came bringing you something that would last for eternity. Is it too much to ask when I do that for you to help me to be able to eat, to drink, to have a living? That's his argument that he makes. But he said it's not just... Me saying, it's not just my human thing saying, God said that. But he's not finished yet. He, answers, he argues again, argument number four, it was done for others. He said, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. What do you mean, Paul? Well, it seems that the Corinthians evidently had helped or paid others who had preached to them. That's his art. If others share in this rightful claim on you, in other words, it seems like you have, you have paid other apostles, preachers, spiritual people, you've paid them... Do I not have that right? Now, who are the others that he's talking about? Could it be that he's talking about Cephas, Peter, and Apollos? You remember back in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The people were arguing among themselves, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas. Had Peter, Cephas, and Apollos worked among the the Corinthians? Yep. If they hadn't, there would have been no reason for these people to have been claiming allegiance to Peter and to Apollos. 
And it may well be that what Paul is saying here, when they labored among you, it was right for you to pay them. And perhaps you did. We've got to remember something about Peter. And he mentions, Paul mentions that in this passage as well. Peter had a wife, didn't he? And it's here that he mentions that as well. He mentions the wife of Peter. He had a wife. He had, he had a family to take care of. And so he says it's right. It's right for you to do that because it was done for others. Number five. It's the universal, not pattern, but pattern. I just noticed that. The universal pattern. Verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? What do you mean by the universal pattern? How did they do it in the Old Testament? How were the Jews told, commanded by God, to take care of the tribe of Levi and of the priests? The tribe of Levi was not given any land. They didn't have the property on which they could grow the things that they needed. And yet God provided for them. How? Out of the sacrifices, the offerings that were made in the temple. And so when we go back and we look in the Old Testament and we begin reading from the Old Testament pages, we understand that God ordained that. Numbers chapter 18, verses 8 through 24 in particular. That He gives them that pattern. But you know what? That didn't just start under the Mosaic system. Is there anyone here who remembers a man by the name of Melchizedek? We read about him in connection with Abraham. One of the things that we read about Abraham and Melchizedek was what? Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Why? Because he is identified under the patriarchal dispensation, the time in which Abraham was living, as the priest of God. And so the principle is a universal principle. It spanned not just the Mosaic dispensation of time, but it also went all the way back to the patriarchal dispensation of time. So it's in the first dispensation of time, it's in the second dispensation of time, and Paul says, hey, guess what? The principle of paying the preacher, if you will, paying the apostle, it spans all three. It's universal in pattern. Number six, Jesus ordained it. Jesus ordained it. Verse 14, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, if you were in our Bible class downstairs this morning, the adult Bible class, you were with us when we were talking about what is taught in the book of Luke, chapter number 10. In Luke chapter 10, there's Jesus sending out either the 70 or the 72. We don't know whether it's 70 or 72. Some of the manuscripts say 70. Some of the other reliable manuscripts say 72. But whether he sent out 35 or 36 pairs of people, he sent those men out. And one of the things that he made clear in verse number 7 of Luke chapter 10 is that 
they were to be paid, as it were. They were to be taken care of, as it were, by the people that they carried the message to. And so, Paul says in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaimed the gospel, we know that he commanded it there. It could have been in some separate communication that God, that Christ had through the Holy Spirit with Paul, saying this is right. But in any, in any stretch of the imagination, however it is that he, God, Christ communicated that to Paul, Paul says, this is what Christ said. And so, number six, here's the sixth reason, sixth reason that it's right to pay the preacher. Now, having said all of that, Paul gladly limited his liberty to be paid. Paul says, here's six reasons. I mean, one should be enough. God said to. Six reasons, though, that I should be receiving from you. But he gladly limited his liberty. Look at verses 15 and following. He says, but I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of the ground for boasting. Paul's not saying, well, you know, I'm just a proud man and I want to I brag a little bit that I haven't been paid. We'll talk about that more in just a second. He says, for if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting... For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge. So as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. You see, Paul willingly waved his right. He willingly said, I don't want anything from you. I want to be able to bring you the gospel. Number one, because Jesus told me that's my job. That's my job. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. You remember when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus? Paul was blinded but basically what Jesus says, Paul, I got a job for you. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Paul says, I'm under responsibility to do that. And you know what? I took that I took that willingly. It took a lot for the Lord to convince me that I that he was who he said he was. But when he convinced me, I was every bit as zealous to take the gospel to everybody that I could as I was before that to stop the spread of that gospel by putting people in prison, by even standing, standing there and watching them being put to death. So Paul says, I've got a right to receive this money from you. 
But I choose not to. Now remember what we've just studied last time in chapter 8. If eating meat causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. Maybe you don't like meat, Paul. Paul says, let me illustrate it. Even in this matter, in, in the matter of money that everybody understands, I'll illustrate my life. I'll illustrate my principle. Somebody says, well, you know what? It's just hard for me not to, and you fill in the blank, for me not to do this or that or the other. Because everybody else around me is, and everything, everything's popular. Well, the last time I checked, it's pretty popular to eat. And if we don't, we're going to starve. And Paul wasn't about to steal, was he? He knew better than that. He had a right for them to provide for him, but what did Paul do? Paul made his own living by his own hands, working as a tent maker. And he didn't do that just to throw it up in their face. But he said, when I preach the gospel to you, that's my reward. That's what makes me happy. That's what I want to do. I don't know, you know, think about Paul. He may have had some of, the, some of those feelings that he had because of what he had previously been persecutor and now he is the one who is the preacher carrying that blessed gospel that blessed message to everyone who would listen and even preaching it to some who wouldn't Paul's not finished yet you see Paul says that winning others that was his prime goal, wasn't it? Winning others involves self-denial and self-control. Continuing on in verse number 9, or 19 rather, chapter 9, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of Christ, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some." I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. Let's start with the last part. Paul, why are you doing it? I want to be in heaven with you. I want you to be there too. 
I want both of us to be there, and that is my reward. Isn't that what he said to the Thessalonians? That his reward, standing before Christ, was them. And so Paul says there's some things that we need to understand. Paul says, I'm not a slave to anybody. That was back in verse 19, the very first part of that. I'm a slave to no man. However, even though I'm, I'm not a slave to anyone, I have actually made myself a servant to everyone. I've become a slave to everybody. Not a bad thing. You remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 44, don't you? Whoever would be first among you must be what? Slave of all. If you want to have first place, then you've got to lower yourself to the, what we might consider the last place. Become a servant, a slave to all. Paul would modify his habits, his preferences, his entire lifestyle, whatever it took, if any of those things might cause someone to stumble or to be hindered in their faith to the Lord in any way. Paul says, I'm willing to forego it. I'm willing to... That's what we call self-denial. I'm willing to forego it. I want you to notice tonight three ways in which he himself had adapted. Yeah, how he had adapted himself. He says, first of all, to the Jews, I became like the Jews. Now, he was a Jew, remember? He was a Pharisee, a a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You know, he's he's one one of the strictest of the strict if you will. He was a Jew. But he says, to the Jews, he's now a Christian, but to the Jews, I became like the Jews. Can you think of an example where Paul might have done that? What about Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, where he took young Timothy and had young Timothy circumcised. Now later he would refuse to do that with Titus, But he took young Timothy and had him circumcised for the sake of the Jews. It may be that we read in Acts chapter 18 and verse 18, another example of this, when Paul himself took a Jewish vow at Sincrea. Not going beyond what God had said, but exercising that so that he might be able to still reach Jewish people. To the Gentiles, he said, I became like a Gentile. Didn't cross the line. I was still under the law of Christ. What does that mean? He identified as closely as possible with Gentile customs. He ate what they ate. He went where they went. He dressed as they dressed. He became like them as much as possible. To the weak, he said, I became as the weak. Paul, what do you mean by that? 
Well, it may have been that he's patiently explaining over and over and over again the things that were right, the things that they needed to know. Very patiently doing that. But more probably what it means is what he had just talked about in chapter number 8. Remember the weak who thought it was wrong to eat the meat that had been offered to idols that was being sold in the marketplace, if you will. Paul made it clear that there was nothing wrong with the meat, but to eat that and to cause that weak brother, that weak sister, to consider that there's something to the idol, he said, that's wrong. And if I do that, he said, I'll never eat meat again. Probably what he's saying here, to the weak, I became as the weak. Why? The, the weak refused to eat, and so did Paul. Paul says, I became all things to all men. John F. MacArthur is not a New Testament Christian in the sense that we find in the New Testament he is a denominational preacher, but he wrote a good uh, a few words here. He said he did not compromise the gospel. He would not change the least truth in the least way in order to satisfy anyone. But he would condescend in any way for anyone if they would in any way if that would in any way help bring him to Christ. He would never set aside a truth of the gospel, but he would gladly restrict his liberty in the gospel. Paul said, I don't have to have it my way. It's my right. Do you remember the title? It's my right, but that's okay. I don't have to have my way. I don't have to have everything like I want it. Why? Because a soul is more important than anything in this world. It takes self-denial, but it also takes self-control. Again, continuing on, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises Self-control, those are the runners that he mentions in the race there in verse 24. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. You know, liberty can't just be limited or liberty cannot be limited without self-control. The Greeks, they had two main athletic festivals. They had the Olympics. We still have Olympics today. And they had the Isthmian Games. They were held in Corinth. And the athletes, it said, would train for ten months in that last month. Because the games were in Corinth, they would spend that last month training in Corinth. And so the people who were there, they would see all these athletes running, boxing, doing whatever it was that that they did. They were well familiar with that. 
So they had a good picture in their mind. Paul says, picture in your mind the self-control that's necessary for these runners to prepare. He said, you understand that the average person out here couldn't just get out there and run with them. They've trained, and it took discipline, self-control for them to do that. And why? What were they after? Well, they wanted a crown. What kind? Crown of leaves. It's going to dry up. It'd be noted as the victor, but that thing wasn't going to last. But Paul says, you know what, folks? As Christians, we're, we're running. We're boxing. We've got a different kind of crown. It's one that'll last and last and last and last and last. I don't have enough breath or enough time to describe how long because it's eternal. He said it's imperishable here in this passage. If they were willing to put themselves under that much self-control to get the crown that decays, how much should we be willing to put ourselves under? I want you to notice in particular verse 26 that's on the screen. Paul says, So, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Paul says, This is the real thing. You know, Paul's not just punching. Paul's in the fight itself. This is the real thing thing. Living the Christian life is the real thing. Every aspect of it is real life. And we'll all stand before God and answer for those things that we do or don't do. This is real life. And so I'm seeking to keep myself in control. But I want to close with verse number 27. As Paul, or we see the end of chapter number 9, Paul says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should become disqualified. If you're reading from the King James Version, Paul said that he buffets his body. I heard one preacher say that does not say he buffets his body. Two totally different things. Literally to beat himself black and blue. He makes it his slave, not being a slave to it. And why does he do that? Well, to keep from sinning against others. To keep from sinning against Christ. That was his conclusion in chapter 8 at verse number 12. If we sin against our brothers and we sin against Christ, what's that going to do to our eternal salvation? It causes us to lose it, does it not? Paul says, I keep myself under control because 
I want to be saved myself. Lest I should be disqualified. That within itself, that passage within itself is a, is a complete sermon. And I know you're thankful tonight that I'm not going to try to preach that complete sermon in the last two or three minutes that we have left. But Paul's point, as he continues in chapter 9 to emphasize the matter that he had begun talking about in chapter 8, is that he was willing to forego rights to be right and to win others to Christ. And if that's the way Paul was, and that's what he had told the Corinthians they needed to do back in Acts chapter 8, what does that say to us? How should we, even today in 2018, how should we be willing to live? Are we willing to live like Paul? Because that is the answer. That is the way. He would soon tell them that they needed to imitate him as he imitated Christ. And that's exactly the way we need to be, imitators of him. Willing to forego, it's my right. I can do this, I can do that, I can do that other thing. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with it, and you fill in the blank. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with it. Paul said, it's my right. Let me tell you about something that everybody understands, money. It's my right for you to pay me, but that's okay. I have a greater reward. My reward's in heaven. And I'm willing and wanting and doing everything I can to get there. Powerful, powerful words from a powerful, powerful apostle and preacher of the gospel. If you're here tonight and you need to respond to the Lord's invitation for any reason to become a Christian or to make your life right with God, whatever your need might be, if you need to come, come right now.